0: Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in Romans chapter 12 this morning. Romans chapter 12, you can follow along with an outline. You can follow along in the Bible app. The notes are there as well. If you just go to the events section of the Bible app, you will find the notes for today. As we talked about last week in 2024, we are celebrating 135 years as a church, and so what is fitting for us as a church is to try to try to go back to what are the guiding values of our church going to be? What have they been over the years, and what will they continue to be as we move into 135 years as a church? Who are we? And why are we here? What are going to be our guiding values? And we've kind of rested on this statement. We are a church family committed to loving God and loving others through an authentic faith, healthy relationships, and giving every person the opportunity to meet Jesus last week we looked at the very beginning of that statement and we talked about what it means to be a church back from Matthew chapter 16 and into a church family what does it mean for us to be adopted into the family of Jesus Christ with a priority on loving God and loving others by the way it's impossible for us to love God and not love others it's impossible. Uh, the way that love is described in the New Testament, Jesus says all of the other uh, commandments hang on these two. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love others as you would yourself. In other words, for us to display a godly love that, uh, that is authentic, that is genuine, We would love God and others. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about these three values. How does loving God and loving others practically look in our church family, in our lives? And so we're going to rest on this statement this morning. We will be a church family that loves God and love others by living out an authentic faith. We're going to be a church family that values a faith and a love that's worth living every single day of the week, not just on Sundays. Now we're going to use references from the entire New Testament and in the Old Testament to examine who we are and why we're here, but for today and really next Sunday we're going to we're going to rest on Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 if there's probably a single chapter in the Bible that describes what it means to actually live like a Christian, Romans 12 is probably the go-to chapter. So that's where we're going to rest. Romans chapter 12 in verse number 1 says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable this is truly the way to worship him. Romans 12 verse 1 begins with this phrase, "and so, dear brothers and sisters. The reason he does that is he has been talking for quite some length about a multitude of different subjects in the book of Romans. Romans has 16 chapters. We're in chapter 12. So for 11 chapters, he has already described to uh, the people of Rome a bunch of different things. Now, the chapters were included after the letter was written, and so if you think about Paul writing this letter, this is a really long dissertation to the church at Rome on a variety of different subjects. The first couple of chapters of Rome describe what it means to understand the gospel, God's uh, good news, his judgment against sin. Um, he talks about the law and grace quite a bit. He moves into chapter five and chapter six, and we're talking about the justification we receive. He goes all the way back to Abraham and describes Abraham's faith that even though Abraham didn't have access to the law because he lived before the law was instituted, he was still justified by his faith. He goes into Romans chapter six and chapter seven, and it's this really amazing uh, proclamation against uh, the power of sin in our life. He goes into this very vulnerable conversation in Romans chapter 7, where he says, Man, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and yet there's some times in my life where I want to live for Jesus, and for some reason I just don't. I'm just broken. There's things I want to do for Christ, and for some reason, I just end up falling into the same trap. And he says, in the same way, there's things I absolutely don't want to do in my life anymore. There's sins I'm trying to rid my life of. And for some reason, I still fall into the same temptations over and over again. And then in Romans 8, he says, man, what can deliver me from this sin? What can deliver me from this power? And he talks about the love of God. So for the first eight chapters he's describing this, Romans 9, 10, and 11, he talks about his love for his fellow countrymen in Israel. And then he gets to Romans chapter 12, and this is, again, a chapter that singularly defines what it means to live the Christian life like no other chapter, perhaps, in Scripture does. And he's pleading with them. Look at the language in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. As we get started this morning, God calls us to make a choice about the way that we live for him based on what he has done for us. The whole reason he is asking us to decide to live for him is based on what he has already done for us. So he asks us, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. So let's just for a minute think about what he has done for our souls. Sometimes when we describe ourselves and we say all the things he has done for us, we will start the list with relationships and possessions. Because those are the things that are tangible. Those are the things that we can see right in front of us. And so oftentimes when you start a gratitude list or you think about, well, all the things God has done, we say, well, I'm so grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for, and we go through the list of relationships and possessions. I want you to elevate the gratitude list and think about your souls for just a moment. I want you to think about all that he has done for your soul. The fact that we have been justified from the guilt and penalty of sin. The fact that we have been adopted into Jesus and now we get to be identified with Christ, the fact that we are no longer placed under the law, but we're placed under grace, the fact that we have been given the Holy Spirit, the promise that he is going to help us in every single moment of our life. How about the confidence of the fact that there is hope after death, that there's life after death? That there's purpose and meaning and significance in this life. So what Paul is saying is in light of all of these mercies, everything that God has done for our soul, Paul begs us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. David Guzik says this, the body is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master, how many of you would agree with that? Absolutely. The body is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And so here Paul is saying, "Because of everything that God has done for us, present your bodies, meaning that God wants you, He wants you, He wants all of you. To, and he's begging that we make ourselves a living sacrifice. Now here's the thing. The sacrifice is living because it's brought alive to the altar, but the sacrifice is also living because it stays alive on the altar. It's an ongoing process. So when we offer our body, God intends it to be holy and acceptable sacrifice. Let's move on to verse number two. He's asking, he's pleading with us, uh, give your bodies to Jesus because of what he's done for you. Verse two says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. My goodness, if we were to take verse 2 and say, there is a way for you to know God's will for your life. I think everybody would be on board for that. I think everybody would say, man, it would be really awesome to know what he wants in my life. Well, Romans 12, chapter, two, or chapter 12, verse 2, begins with this premise, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't copy. Um, when, I, when we say don't copy, how many of you are having a flashback to grade school? <laughs> right? I mean, when I hear those words, that's what I'm seeing. And uh, perhaps, how many of you, you were the person uh, that people copied from. How many of you were the people doing the copying? Right? So don't copy when you're in grade school and there is an opportunity to, uh, to take a test and someone's sitting next to you and someone just gently lifts their paper up. And, they, and the opportunity arises for you to look at their answers And then now you're copying based on their information, their influence, not because you've made a decision, but because you're simply taking their information as if it were your own. In the same way, Paul is saying, hey, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't do it. Don't allow yourselves to be so influenced by the people and the surroundings uh, and the way that the world works that their behaviors and their customs now become yours, but let God transform you into a new person. God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Um, Perhaps your scripture says, by the renewal of your mind, right? And then what happens when our mind has been renewed and we are resisting uh, the cultures, the customs, and the behaviors of the day? Well, then God will let you know what his will is for you. If you're copying the behaviors of this world, if you're copying the customs of this world, it becomes really difficult to hear God's voice to tell you what God's will is for your life. It gets really, really hard. Um, Have you ever tried to have two conversations at the same time? Right? It gets very, very difficult. You will pick up bits and pieces from both conversation, never fully giving your attention to one and frustrating both parties. So when we are listening to the world we're copying their behaviors, and then also trying to also hear God's voice, we will pick up bits and pieces from both sources and frustrating both. The world becomes frustrated because you are in and out. God becomes frustrated because he's a jealous God. And what happens to your heart? Your heart, because it's in two different places, becomes unstable in all its ways, James tells us. So, Paul's direction is very clear. He says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you. This is the opposite of being controlled. The battleground between conforming to the world and being transformed is within your mind. So, the key to living in authentic faith is really the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind. This transformation. The Greek word here, if you're uh, in the habit of taking notes in your Bible or uh, in your outline, the Greek word here for that renewal or that transformation is this word where we get the word metamorphosis. So the same word is used here to describe the change from living according to the customs and behaviors of this world and then be be, uh, renewed and transformed by God. So... Uh, what does this look like? How do we renew our mind? This part is not in your notes. I'm going to give you four words. It's not in your notes, but they're all in verse 2. These four, um, these commands, these um, actions are in verse 2. And I should have put it in your notes, but I just didn't by the time we printed the outline on Wednesday. Four words are this. Remember, decide, resist, and focus. How do you renew your mind? Remember, decide, resist, and focus. How do you renew your mind? Remember, in other words, keep in mind all that God has done for you. Decide. It is an act of decision to yield yourself to God. Resist. Resist the conformity to the thoughts and actions of this world, and then focus. Focus on God's word and fellowship with him. This is how we renew our minds. He goes on in verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Should we just stay here for the rest of the day? Do not think... You are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. My goodness. Measuring yourselves by not one another, not not by the worst Christian you know, right? Not not against uh, someone else, but rather measure yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Now, Paul's going to talk about how to exercise spiritual gifts, and then he's going to give us three ingredients to authenticity, the three characteristics of an authentic faith. But before he even gets there, he's like, first of all, let me give you a warning. You're, You're not really as good as you think you are. Be honest in your evaluation of who you are. Do not allow yourself to... Approach the next few things Paul is saying by saying, "Oh, got that. I'm good there. This one's fine. I'm good here. Oh, you know who this would really be really good for? Uh, anyone but me. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying I'm going to give you some really vital things to live out your authentic faith. But first things first. Don't think you're as good as you think you are. Be honest with your evaluation of yourselves." Measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Um, he, he begins to talk about this idea that if we are not honest with ourselves, it's impossible not to be given over to pride. And if we approach this conversation about authentic, f- pride, uh, authentic faith with pride in our heart, we're just skewed right from the beginning. You see, he talks about spiritual giftedness here in a moment. Uh, Go to uh, verse 4, next verse. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In other words, the church is a unified body. We're all distinct within that body. It's It's about unity, but it's not about uniformity, right? We've talked about this before. You know where you see uniformity? Prison. Everyone eats the same food. Everyone sleeps in the same conditions. Everyone wears the same clothes. You know what they don't have in prison? Unity. So we're not talking about the fact that all of us should be um, exactly the same. Uh, What he's talking about is what binds us together in the family of God, right? So as members of a family, of a church family, we will have some things in common, and those are uh, designed and kind of originated because of who our parents are, because of our family, because of the way we were brought up together. But as individuals, we carry characteristics where it's really important for us to be different. Right? It is really important and impactful that we're different. Um. Cheryl was playing the, the, the guitar earlier. You know, you know how you play a, a, a chord? Every one of the notes is playing a different, or every one of the strings is playing a different note. You know what happens if all the strings were playing the same note? There's no melody. Nothing moves together. There's no harmony. And so for us as a church body, yes, we want to we we strive for this, uh, this heart and this um, movement of unity. But not discount each other's individual characteristics that makes us individuals. So unity should never be promoted at the expense of the individual. And that our individuality should never diminish as the church's essential unity in Christ. He is our common God. Uh, our common bond. Uh, We read on in verse 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophecy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Let's go to the first part of the verse. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So spiritual gifts are not given on the basis of merit, but because God just simply chooses to give them. And the term is coined by Paul to emphasize the giving of these spiritual grace gifts because of his grace. So he goes on to say, if you have the ability to prophesy, do so with as much faith as God has given you. So here um, we're reminded that Prophecy in the biblical understanding isn 't necessarily foretelling in a strictly predictive sense like i 'm going to get up here and tell you what 's going to happen in the future it 's more accurately forthtelling uh, the heart and mind of God, which may or may not include a predictive aspect. It warns us against flippant stream of consciousness prophecy that has no difficult saying, no difficulty saying says the Lord at the drop of a hat. Uh, It's this idea that if God has given you and gifted you in this area, take it seriously, do it well with as much faith as God has given you. It's not the only gift. Verse 7, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. So here's a broader picture of simply just serving in practical ways. Paul sees this as an important ministry from the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about this one a little bit later. Uh, If you are a teacher teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, then give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So in other words, he's saying Every one of us in the family of God has been given gifts. So the question for us is, am I using my gifts for his purpose? Uh, Am I using the gifts, first of all, in order to further the kingdom and to showcase the love of Jesus Christ? So all of these gifts are given to us individually, and when we all decide to use our gifts for his glory, we all benefit, and the kingdom of God moves forward. Um, We're going to see that play out here in just a moment, where he describes the characteristics of a faith that is authentic. What are these characteristics? So in Romans 12, he gives us three characteristics. We begin in verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. You get the idea that Paul has heard some things about this church? You get the idea that he has a little bit of inside knowledge of maybe some relationships in the church? Verse 9, he says pretty strikingly, hey, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You say, what is the first characteristic of a faith that is authentic? It is genuine love. Genuine love. If your faith is living and breathing between Sundays, then what it will look like in your life is you will have a genuine love for people. A genuine love. Uh, He says here, don't just pretend to love others. Do we need to walk through what it means to pretend to love others? Or are you already thinking about examples in your own life on what it means to pretend to love someone? Right? It's this uh, two-faced way of loving people where you love them when they're immediately in front of you. And as soon as they turn your back, you roll your eyes or you let out a sigh, or you allow yourself to think negatively upon that person as soon as they're out of your midst, right? It's this ability we have to uh, turn on our church face and immediately shut it down when that moment passes. Genuine love. He says, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. So love with hypocrisy isn't really love at all, much less, but much, I should say, much of what masquerades as love in the Christian community is laced with hypocrisy, and we must be vigilant about protecting our church family from operating in that way. And some, some ways, it's often easier for us to either uh, Uh, hate what is evil or cling to what is good rather than doing both, but what he's saying here is that the loving person will be able to hold these both in our hands. We'll be really able to hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. And this is the command that Christians should not have a cold standoffish attitude. In honor, giving preference to one another shows that the display of affection is genuine. So, what are we trying to go after? This genuine love. What are some practical ways to uh, ensure that our love is genuine? If you have a negative feeling about someone, you should add them to your daily prayers. If you have a negative feeling about someone specific, you should pray for them daily. You should make a list of 10 things you would like to see happen in your life, and then pray that for that person. I would love to have a family that, that is healthy. Uh, I want my finances to be secure. I want my relationships to be whole. I want to be able to enjoy good health. I w- write 10 things that you would love to see in your life and then pray them for the person that you have negative feelings for. Every day, every day, every day, every day. You say, how long do I need to do that? How long will you have those negative feelings? Because that's how long you'll do that. And I'll tell you this, if you do that, your, your heart in respect to your disposition and attitude towards this person will soften in such a way that there will be no other way to say that, oh, God, you have changed my heart towards this person. And now what has happened? You'll able to have this honest, genuine love towards this person. So is there a person right now? That you can think of that you have this negative interactions with. And every time you're interacting with them, there's a negativity that comes in your mind. There's there's a harsh attitude. There's an unkind thought that necessarily doesn't transfer to an unkind word, but the thought is there. Yeah. Then 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 the rest of the message doesn't really matter. This is this is your homework. This is your assignment. To practice genuine love towards this person. So again, write 10 things that you would love to pray for yourself and pray for this other person. Uh, What does it look like for you to have this genuine love for others? Um, I would pray out loud for people with someone. A couple of things different happen here when you start praying out loud for someone with someone. When you pray out loud, first of all, your mind has no choice but to think about the words you're saying. And sometimes when we pray, for those of us who pray silently, uh, and I say us because I'm here, how many of you find that your mind can wander from time to time? Right? That is not because you're a bad person or a horrible prayer-er. prayer I don't know what that word is. Um, it's not because you're bad at prayer. It's because we're human and our minds escape, right? So I'm going I'm to encourage you to begin to pray out loud for people. What will happen is this. Your, your mind will start following your words, and you will hear yourself just lifting up people. And I say to pray out loud with someone. Uh, so, so find someone. Um, a spouse, a friend, uh, your child. What a great way to just exercise and teach your kids how to pray is like hey let's pick someone and let's pray for them out loud and just learn what it looks like to just begin praying for people out loud you will be shocked on how different your prayers are out loud versus the ones you pray in your mind you just will be prayer is a language and it develops over time and unless we practice it um yeah our, our language doesn't develop um I'm going to tell you something and i'm not bragging so please don't take it that way i'm on like a 335 day streak on duolingo on my phone for spanish so that means for every day for 335 days i've i've done a lesson which doesn't amount to a whole lot it really doesn't uh because i'll do it for like two or three minutes so i can get my streak and it'll in the little thing it's really cute the 333 It'll change to 334, and then it'll be flames, and it's really cool and exciting, and then I'll put it away for the rest of the day. And unless I were to have conversations in Spanish, my Spanish is just growing incrementally. Why? Because there's no active engagement to develop my language skills in Spanish. I guarantee you, if I had one conversation, a five-minute conversation once a week in Spanish with a Spanish speaker, my Spanish would go way dramatically deeper. Deeper and my sense of the language would grow. So some of us with prayer, if we're just praying in our mind, and that's the only way we're activating the prayer language in our life, we're we're, we're not developing in it. So it's not that you're bad at prayer. You just need to develop prayer. Does that make sense? This is genuine love. He goes on in verse 11, as if he hasn't stepped on our toes enough. Don't just pretend to love others really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, take delight in honoring each other. Verse 11, never be lazy. Who said, oh boy? (laughs) Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord. What's that last word? What's the second measure of... A faith that is authentic, we're talking about genuine love, and we're talking talking about enthusiastic service. It makes sense because if we're called to these deep relationships based on authentic love, genuine love, we're going to call it, we also know that we are called to hard work. The church and our faith are no place for laziness. The Lord is asking you to serve. So, so think about the whole context of Romans chapter 12. Um, he, be, he begins with this plea. Man, I am begging you. I plead with you. The King James says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, to, to give your bodies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice based on what God has done for you. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. If you do that, you're going to get knocked off your trail. You're not going to be able to hear God, and you won't know what the will of God is for your life. Now, don't think you're as good as you are, because you're not. Be honest in your evaluation with one another and measure yourselves, not with one another, but according to the faith that God has given you. And here's all the ways you are gifted. You might be gifted here, you might be gifted here, you might be gifted here, you might be gifted here. Now here's the thing, don't pretend to love people, genuine love. And then he says, now, don't be lazy. Because of what God has done for you, you are called to hard work. You're called to work hard. You are called to serve enthusiastically the Lord. One of the vehicles God has designed for you to exercise the gift of service is the local church. This is one of the vehicles you have. So we need you to serve. It was interesting. Last fall, we did a survey with our church family to help our elders in our elders retreat. And nearly, like, um, we're going to spend some time this year unpacking those Uh, surveys and and really we've identified some priorities and we're going to put attention to those priorities over the next few weeks and months. But many of the surveys expressed this. It would be great if we had more kids, more couples, more Bible studies, more instruments, more. Right? And those are awesome desires. By the way, when I pray for our church, I pray for more kids. I pray for couples. I pray for more Bible studies. I pray for more instruments. I pray for more voices. I pray for more teachers. I pray for more and more and more. And one of the ways for us to gain more is for each of you to serve. Because what happens when you serve in a way that fulfills you and provides you joy frees up someone who might be serving out of obligation. Might be serving because... No one else is serving in that capacity. Might be serving because there's a hole that needs to be plugged and you saw it and so you plugged the hole. Um, So how can you serve? I don't know. But if you write the word serve on your connect card, we will find a place for you. What I mean by that is this. It doesn't mean that you're going to be serving next Sunday, but it means this. I would love to have a thoughtful conversation about what God has done in your life. I would love to have this conversation of, because of what God has done in your life, where do you find yourself gifted, resourced? Where do you find yourself loving people? And then based on that conversation, say, man, what if we did this together? Uh, We need greeters. We need people that'll smile on a Sunday morning and genuinely welcome people to church. We need people at the coffee bar who will pour a cup of coffee for people and just make sure everything is set up right there. We need people uh, to serve in our nursery. I don't know if you all have noticed, but our church is growing from the inside out. (laughs) We were at a baby shower yesterday, and I started looking around the room, and I started thinking, there's another baby coming, and there's another baby coming there. That's three. There's four. There's five. We're going to have like five or six babies in our nursery in a few months. Would you like one person watching five or six babies? Yeah, we need people in the nursery. If, if you're gifted and qualified. Uh, we need people in our kids' church. We need people to help Darren with the youth group. Uh, we need people in the production team back there. Uh, I, I, I hope it's okay to say this out loud, Dean. I said one of the goals for our production team is that Linda Soper can enjoy a Sunday morning service and not serve on the computer. We need three or four people to volunteer there. We need people to work the camera. By the way, if you have a cell phone, a smartphone, you know how to use a camera. Um, we need sound techs. We need worship team members. Um, we need. And the only way for us to get the more that we desire is for the people that are here to serve. And then it ends up freeing us in more ways. Serve enthusiastically. Enthusiastic service. So, there's genuine love. There's enthusiastic service. Verse 12. Rejoice. Actually, let's read this one together. Ready? Begin. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. All right, this time we're going to read it again. And just think about these phrases. Ready? Begin. Rejoice in our confident hope. The third characteristic of an authentic faith is joyful hope. The call to hope usually has us, usually has in mind our ultimate reward with Jesus. And Paul says we serve God rejoicing in hope, not rejoicing in results. This shows how we are commanded to do all three things with an eye towards heaven, You see, difficult times do not excuse us when we abandon our hope or patience or continually steadfast in prayer. Trials do not excuse a lack of love in the body of Christ or a lack of willingness to work, but it allows us to put our hearts in a position that looks forward to more than just the temporary. You know what joyful hope looks like? Uh, I'm going to read from Psalms 1. I hadn't planned on it, so it's not in your notes. But Psalms chapter 1, out of the New Living Translation, says this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord. You Skip down a few verses, it says this. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season, their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. They are The wicked are worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will com- be condemned at the time of judgment, and sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. What does joyful hope look like? It means this. We will not allow the news of the day to move our disposition. We do not allow the chaos of cultural moment to impede our ability to stand in the joy of the Lord. It means we will not allow our temporary circumstances to derail the joy of the Lord based on something that doesn't go your way. And if I can be so bold today in 2024, it means we will not allow the political calendar to determine whether we experience joy or not. How dare us, by the way, How dare us allow something so temporary, alter the eternal joy and interrupt the grace in which we stand. And if you allow your joy to be uprooted by temporary circumstances, I would encourage you to go back to the source of joy rather than filling your heart with whatever is removing that joy. If you have a problem with anxiety today, I I dare you to go a week without social media or news. I dare you. I dare you to allow yourselves to be influenced by the Holy Spirit overwhelmingly rather than the temporary fear-based rhythms of our life authentic faith should be rooted in this joyful hope that no matter what happens this afternoon in the football games, no matter what happens this week when it comes to weather, no matter what happens later this month or in the next few weeks as we roll into tax season and you think about the summer upcoming, no matter what happens when it comes into the heat or the height of the election calendar, that no matter what happens, joyful hope says, I look forward to a day where all of this doesn't matter. I look forward to a day where Jesus comes back, I look forward to a day where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. I look forward, I'm not gonna stand here and be just drowned by the temporary circumstances, that tree that's planted by the river of water. You know what happens to trees that are deep-rooted? They don't move when the wind comes. The chaff, that which has no root, no purpose, no worth, That flows with the wind, left and right. So when your emotions are awry, and your heart follows those emotions, the psalmist is painting this picture that that's what happens when you're not rooted. Authentic faith means genuine love, enthusiastic service, and joyful hope. By the way, you know this phrase, the joy of the Lord is our I would propose this morning that perhaps some of you are, aren't able to serve because there's no joy, there's no strength. Now, there are some very dire circumstances where it may seem impossible to find joy, and I understand that. I understand what it looks like to perhaps walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I understand what it looks like to have your whole life altered because of disappointing news. And by no means am I saying that you don't care about those situations in your life. But what I'm asking you to consider is in the spirit of the psalmist to say there's something deeper that I'm going to hold onto tight. Wouldn't you say that would be a faith that lives and breathes between Sundays? That would be something. That would be What we're talking about. Is anybody from the South? Like, you actually have family from the South? We got a few people. Um, I'm not always sure what the South means. When I went and visited Libby's family for this first time, uh, we went to Ohio, and I don't think of that as the South. But many people did describe it as the South. I would say the first time I enjoyed the South was about eight years ago, nine years ago. I went to uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Can I just tell you, I loved it. I loved that week. Uh, It was awesome. I went with my best friend Garrison. Some of you may remember Garrison. And uh, we went to Tennessee, and it was awesome. Um, We saw a bunch of concerts that weekend. um, And And we just enjoyed Southern hospitality, which is a real thing. The only thing better than Southern hospitality is Southern food. I know we're close to lunchtime, so I don't want to tease you. um, But I want to show you a picture of one of the meals we had. Yeah. So... We got to Nashville, and Garrison and I, neither one of us had been to Nashville before. We, don't, we didn't quite knew what we were in store for. And um, so we got to the hotel, and we spent some time at the uh, um, Opryland. And we would ask people, where should we eat? Where can we go to experience Tennessee authentic Southern food? And we had several people say, you got to go to Martin's. Martin's has a few locations in, in, in the Nashville area. And, uh, and so we put Martin's on our list. And we go to Martin's, and we get there. And um, if I remember right, you go to like a, um, I think it's like a walk-up order. And then you sit down, and then they bring their food to you. We went up to the walk-up place, and, and the, men, the menu's kind of overwhelming. And we're, you know and if I'm going to somewhere and I really want to just get a sense of the place, I'll, tell, I'll ask the person, hey, what would you recommend? And so... Um, so we went there, and the guy, the guy behind the counter, we said, hey, we're from Oregon. What should we taste? And he goes, you can see. He goes, well, the wings are really good, so you probably should try the wings. Um, I love the hush puppies. I think our coleslaw is the best. We have this brisket burger that we take a burger, and we put brisket on it, and then you can choose your sauce. And so I just said yes. <laughs> and I... <laughs> And he said yes to, and I said, yes, yeah, everything you just said, that's what, that's what I'll order. I know what Garrison's ordering, <laughs> but that's what I'll order. So he gives out the wings and he gives out the hush puppies and there's coal. So and I, I'll be honest, I think there was something on the left of the hush puppies and I just don't remember it because it feels like there's an empty space right there. And then there's this burger, right? And it's, and, it's, and it's a hamburger with brisket and then sauce, right? And I'm just like, you know, I've had brisket before. Um, and so the waiter, he, he brings our food to us, and, um, and he said, "I heard you guys the first time to Tennessee." And I was like, "Yeah, he goes, "Well, once you've tasted this, you're never going to want anything else." <laughs> he was right. <laughs> I remember writing in my journal or my notes at that time once you've tasted authenticity, you never want to go back. Once you've tasted what it looks like to forgive someone and to be released of the burden of unforgiveness in your life, you don't ever want to go back. Once you have served, not have obligation, not out of duty, not because I asked, not because there was an announcement, but because you're gifted and talented in such a way, and God has gifted you in a way, and now you get to use that gift for the kingdom, you never want to go back. Once you start praying with your kids, not because you forgot or not because it's part of your to-do list, but because they had something go on in their life and because of the culture of prayer that you have grouped, you have developed in your family and your kid says, hey, let's pray for so-and-so. Once you've experienced that, you're never going to want to go back. Once you've experienced what it's like not to hold on to resentment and tension and anger and discontent You're never gonna want to go back. Because this is what it looks like to live an authentic life. Authentic faith. And I asked the question last week and I'll ask it again today. Could you imagine what would happen in our community if our church out, if our church family lived out their faith with genuine love, enthusiastic service, and joyful hope? What would happen? What would be the what would be the results in our family and our church family this is what it looks like for us to embrace our values we will be a church that loves God and loves others through authentic faith a love and a faith that lives and breathes outside of Sundays not just on Sunday morning thank you so much for listening to this week's message If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.